Welcome to Humco Learn, a lively and informative podcast where you, the listeners, get the inside scoop on the issues affecting the students and families of Humboldt County. I'm Michael Davis Hughes, Superintendent of Schools for Humboldt County and the host of Humco Learn. For each edition of the podcast, we feature a special guest whose work intersects with education. And today I am thrilled to welcome uh, Humboldt County Public Health Director Sophia Pereira. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Really happy that you're here. I know we've had to reschedule a couple of times for various life events, but isn't that so apropos considering COVID and the rescheduling things that have had to occur over the past two and a half years. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so here we are. We made it. <laughs> we made it. So segue right into my first question. Um, let's inform our listeners a little bit about you. Uh, so tell us about yourself and how you came to serve in your current position as the Director of Public Health at Humboldt County. Yeah. So I first came to Humboldt County in 2005. I came to Humboldt State, fell in love with the area, and never left. And I live here in, in Arcata with my husband and my two-year-old, and yes, a pandemic baby. <laughs> uh, and how I came to this role it was really a, a non-traditional path. Um, I got my start um, working in public policy, uh, working for the state legislature, working for Assemblymember Wesley Chesbro, so working on community issues, healthcare, and otherwise. Then uh, worked for uh, Health and Human Services here as a legislative analyst, so working on public health policy, social services policy, et cetera, um, working at the state and, and federal level on those. And then uh, served on the Arcata City Council. I started that in 2014, served on that for six and a half years and worked on a lot of public health policy. I wouldn't have necessarily said, this is a public health policy, but we worked on um, you know, gun safe storage, um, an ordinance. Uh, we, we did um, tobacco, uh, tobacco ordinance. I mean, so we were working on public health policy and really the social determinants of health, you know, housing and access to education, all those things that impact health were things that you work on as an elected official working at the local government level. So yeah. um, was doing that work, but that's a part-time position. So I uh, was working full-time for public health uh, prior to taking on uh, this position and worked uh, really intimately on the the COVID nineteen response. Yes, of course. Flipped everything upside down for all of us, and would not have um, expected my life path to take me here. And I'm so grateful yeah. for where I'm at. Well, we're grateful to have you, Sophia. Um, you're the director of public health. So, what does that mean? And what are some of the responsibilities you have that many people may not know about? Yeah. So, as the public health director, I'm, I'm the administrator. Um, and so uh, what that means is I'm responsible for the strategic planning, the budgeting, the personnel. Um, so there's the logistical, the operational side of the organization. And I think what maybe a lot of people don't know is how much is under public health. So um, I'm responsible for we have our nursing division, which people are probably familiar with, you know, the COVID-19 response and our communicable disease program. Um, we have a public health clinic. We have home visiting programs. So we have programs that work with first time moms um, from pregnancy up to their kids being two years old. Uh, and that's a really great program that we, we offer. Uh, we have environmental health. 
Uh, so a lot of people know that through, you know, food inspectors, uh, the food inspections that we do to keep our restaurants uh, safe uh, for people to, to eat there. Um, and then we also have a public health lab. So people probably are familiar because of COVID testing, but our public health lab does oyster testing. Uh, also, we have a bioterrorism lab. So when there was that ricin incident at uh, Pelican Bay State Prison, it was our public health lab that did the initial wow. testing. So, um, and then we have health education work that happens. So that's a lot with our schools, a lot of work in our schools doing substance use prevention work, tobacco education work, suicide prevention work. So there's really a lot that yeah, we do in the absolutely. community. Absolutely. Now, do you sometimes have people that uh, get pub the public health officer and the public health <laughs> director mixed up? I, I yes. understand that the roles of, are very different and you've yeah. explained some of your roles, but can you tell us a little bit more of that differentiation of responsibilities there? Yeah, I appreciate it. Because when I first got the position, I remember someone being like, wait, I didn't know you were a doctor. I'm like, oh, I am not a doctor. <laughs> no, no, that's not what I signed up for. So uh, yeah, it, probably the simplest way to describe it is if you were to look at a clinic or a hospital, you have the chief executive or the executive director, and then you'd have the chief medical officer. And so that really is the the breakdown of our respective roles. So we work incredibly close together and we're so fortunate to have Dr. Candy Stockton. She's just brilliant. Um, but we, we need that clinical oversight um, for various uh, services and programs that we have in public health. So obviously our nurses, our nursing programs need that clinical oversight, like our public health clinic. Um, but then there's also the policy and the, the guidance around how we address, you know, COVID or if we have, a, you know, a tuberculosis case, like guiding our, our staff around those or how we address, you know, COVID-19. Um, those are the things that really the health officer uh, is going to um, give that medical uh, direction on and also be really staying in tune with what's happening at the state and federal level for, you know, guidance and policy and keeping track of that and us working together on how do we implement that. Um, you know, so, you know, we work really closely on uh, if we're trying to roll out, you know, the vaccine, you know, the MPOX vaccine, for example, it's, you know, she's looking at the clinical side and I'm going, okay, how do we make sure we have the staffing in place to do these clinics, right? So it's, you know, we, we bring those different perspectives together to do the work. Sure, sure. Thank you. That explains it really clearly. So what do you love most, Sophia, about the work that you do? I think fundamentally it's the people because you have to believe in the mission of public health to do the work. You have to believe that we deserve to live in a healthy community both in our natural environment and our built environment. You have to believe that we can always do better to make our community a better place. And so we have every person that works in public health believes that and brings that drive into the work that we do. Um, and so that's what brings joy because every day is different. There is never a dull moment in our work, but it's finding a way to solve problems with the team that you have um, and uh, that that's what brings the joy. And I love the opportunities to learn more and more about all the different programs and services that we offer as we've transitioned from full on COVID mode and just seeing how inspiring our staff are and just how brilliant they are mm. and just bring everything they can because they so believe in the work that they're doing. Yeah. Shout out to public health staff. Yeah, they're amazing, <laughs> truly.
So you've been in this role through a, a global pandemic. Yeah. Uh, in reflecting on the past two and a half years, how has this experience shaped your understanding of the role of local government in supporting the health of its citizens? Yeah, this, uh, I think we've seen just how important local government is. Obviously, the federal and state level are going to create you know, policy direction for something like a, a global pandemic, and they're going to, you know, provide resources. But bottom line, it's those of us that are on the ground, that are connected to the community, um, that are going to be responsive to the community and the unique community needs that we have. Um, and so I think we've seen just how important it is for local government to be a part of the response. Um, if there is a global pandemic, I mean, public health literally has <laughs> a responsibility in that. Um but I think we also saw the broader community response that needs to happen. And so I think we see that local government absolutely has a role and has resources to support the community and infrastructure to support the community. But also it's not just up to local government. It's, you know, community organizations. It's us as neighbors. And how do we support each other? And I think that's something we really saw throughout the pandemic was how people rose to the challenge and said, how do we stay connected to each other? Mm -hmm. How do we create spaces, you know, moving to events online or, you know, doing drive-by baby showers, which is what I had, and, um, <laughs> you know, or birthday parties for kids and, you know, just finding ways to like support each other through something that is just, we've never gone through in our lifetime. Right. So local government has a role. And I think, you know, we should always look to how do we strengthen that, what our role is in the terms of like how we best deliver services to the community when, when people need it most. Mm -hmm. And how do we make sure that we as community members find opportunities to support each other? Yeah. I'm really hearing what you're saying is the, the importance of the relationships that we have yeah. with our community yeah, and how we need to work together, you know, through any problems that we might exactly. encounter. It hasn't always been easy, right? Especially this, the... You know, with the controversies and the public discourse and discontent around masking mm -hmm. and vaccinations and, you know, sometimes it got pretty, pretty hostile out there. But here you are, you, uh, you, you kind of made it through. Um, what, what are some of the ways that you actually help to kind of manage yourself mm. through those difficulties? Because I know in the educational communities, um, you know, our teachers and administrators and board members, they've, they've had a struggle, no doubt about it. So yeah. public health, um, I'm sure it's been pretty tough as well. How do you manage that? Yeah, um, I think it's just important, at least for me, what, what helped me was to just remember, you know, when there was you know, discontent when there are people that are angry and frustrated, like why, why are they frustrated? And just remembering like that frustration comes from a real place. Like mm -hmm. we don't want to be disconnected from each other. We want to be able to see people's smiles and, and, and engage with each other in a meaningful way and to have our lives get flipped upside down. I, I understand why people can be frustrated. And, you know, as public health, it's balancing that with how do we keep people safe? How do we make sure we have enough hospital capacity so we don't have too many people hospitalized at the same time and have unnecessary and preventable deaths? I mean, th these, were the, these were the difficult dynamics to navigate knowing that some of those choices that were made, um, you know, 
create a disruption in people's lives, right. you know, that's, and that's, that's the, the stark balance. Like that's just very sensitive balance that you have to, to figure out. But I think remembering like what, like when we do mitigations like that, like th those are not easily made decisions. Those aren't lightly made decisions because you do know it makes an impact on people's lives. And right. we just know the reason that we have to do those in those moments is, is because the risk of not doing it is so severe. Um, but I think remembering like this, yeah, these, these are <laughs> big decisions that we're making, um, that impact people's lives. Um, but you know, it doesn't change how difficult it is in the moment, right? Like it's, it's yeah. inherently, inherently a difficult situation. So those were tough moments. For sure. But within those tough moments though, you must have also experienced some pretty remarkable, uh, events, or things that stand out in your mind, more positive things that have come out of this. Well, is there anything that really stands out to you that you could share in terms of the positive silver lining of this, this, these last two and a half years? Yeah, I, I think about, you know, especially my time in working in the emergency operations center. And I think, you know, we, we had so many people that just were showing up every day, giving so much to keeping our community safe. Um, and, you know, there's no like big kudos that, that, that came from that or, or whatever. It was just, we believed in the work. I remember this was early on and I remember, you know, when it'd be like five cases. And I remember there was days where that felt like, at, now that feels insane that we'd be like five cases that feels so heavy. But there were days early on yeah. where it just felt like, oh my gosh, like this is going to keep building and how long, like how big could this get and yeah. how many people could get hurt, um, you know, and having the first death. Um, you know, like those, those were moments where, you know, we, it all affected us. We had, you know, a big um, screen where, you know, we could see the national numbers and we would, you know, update, you know, local numbers. And so, I mean, it, it meant something to us to keep our community safe. And so I think that camaraderie mm -hmm. that came from that experience is just something that really stood out to me. It's hard for me to like pin like, oh, there was like this one moment, but it was yeah. just like how how we just came together and like this, this is why we're here. And like, we're all, we're all sacrificing. You know, I remember someone saying to me in, in starting this role, they're like, oh, are you just now going back to the office? I go, I never, I never, and yeah, I never worked remote. We were just, we were working on the response. Right. Like that's just, that's just what we were doing, you know, and yeah. wouldn't have had it any other way. One of the things that I think we all learned through COVID is the importance of leaning one on, on one another. You've talked yeah. about that already. Um, and the educational community yeah. has certainly leaned on public health to provide expertise and guidance on how to keep our students and our staff, our families safe and healthy. So during the height of this pandemic, you and Humboldt County's public health officer were in frequent communication with local leaders in education. Yeah. I think that we had at least weekly meetings, if not more frequent. How was this relationship with education helpful to your organization? Yeah, uh, well, it, yeah, it was incredibly helpful. And I think, you know, as public health and then as government, right? Like you, you, you can't do it all. You don't have a pulse on everything because you have other partners that may be more connected to different members of the community, different constituencies. So I think schools and education is so uniquely situated to have a pulse of, all the communities in the county, because schools reach everywhere. I mean, every family in, in this county 
interacts with the school system one way or the other. So every community has school representation, education, connection of some kind. And so it was helpful to learn, okay, in, in this particular community, this is the feedback that we're getting. These are, these are what schools in this region in particular are struggling with. This is what we're needing elsewhere in another part of the county. And it, was, it seemed to be reflective of, you know, what were the larger issues going on there? What were the resources that were needed? And so I think that constant communication was really helpful for us to figure out, you know, where were the, where were the greatest needs? Where were the biggest challenges? Um, and so I, I don't think we could have done a lot of what we've done without education. And I think understanding, you know, what, what education partners were really experiencing on the ground. Mm-hmm. Like we, we needed that feedback of, you know, I think about, you know, from extracurriculars and sports to in the classroom, all of those things had unique challenges and nuances. And, you know, as you remember, it's like state guidance just changed left and right. I always joke there was like Friday surprise, you know, it's just like, <laughs> oh, Friday, all of a sudden, like something's come up and like, we're all trying to interpret it. Like, what does it mean? How do mm-hmm. we execute it? And mm-hmm. so, um, and how it gets executed, it's going to look different across the county, depending on what the circumstances are, or, you know, what the response is going to be in the community. So those are all those sensitivities that yeah. you all had to navigate. And um, so I, I think we learned a lot from that experience. And I, I think we're stronger <laughs> having gone through that experience right. together. Right. I think that one of the silver linings of this pandemic has been, and again, again, having to do with relationships, and we've seen it in schools, is that staff at schools, teachers, administrators, support staff, really leaned on parents more, and connected with parents more than ever before, um, because students for a big portion of a year were learning from home. And yeah. so there was that necessary communication and collaboration to make sure that students were getting the instruction they needed. And one of the things that I have really been contemplating or been reflecting on is the importance to keep that, even though the pandemic, we're not post-pandemic, we understand yeah. that, yeah. but um, as we've worked through it and we we don't need as much as, of that support for actually providing instruction, we need to keep in mind that those relationships need to be maintained, you know, that yeah. we can't just forget about them because we don't feel like we had, there's that urgency anymore. Um and I certainly feel that way with, you know, with public health and other um, organizations that we partnered closely with during the pandemic is we've got to maintain those opportunities to collaborate and cooperate because at the end of the day, you know, we don't know what's around the corner. And to have those relationships in place seems like it's really, really important. And, um, you know, it just sounds like you understand and, and appreciate the value of those relationships as well. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, it. I would hope we've learned a lot from these experiences and, and build upon them. Yeah, definitely. for sure. Now that uh, the pandemic seems to be, at least for the time being, something we're learning to manage. Yeah. What goals do you have for your organization as a director? Gosh, there's not enough time <laughs> <laughs> to cover all the things. Yeah. But, but the I, I would say some of the ones that, rise to the top. Um, We're going to be publishing soon our community health improvement plan. That's something I'm really excited for us to to release. And that's Mm -hmm. really a community wide effort, uh, working with various community organizations and agencies and tribes um, to 
bring together all the work that's happening around four priority areas. So substance use, suicide prevention, uh, housing instability and homelessness, and uh, ACEs and healthy beginnings. And so this is just the beginning of an ongoing process, um, but this plan is meant to articulate the work that's happening, the data that we want to use to measure our impact as a community. Um, and so there's a lot of exciting work that's going to come from that. Uh, once we publish that plan, um, you know, we're looking to develop a dashboard. I mean, so there's a lot of steps that come after the publishing of the plan. And, and so and that's going to be working really closely with community partners like in education who've been really involved in that, the development of the plan. So really excited for that. Um, the state, um, fortunately, has given us resources to focus more on health equity. Uh, so we've hired some staff to be able to bring some more staff support to mm -hmm. that. Um, I think great, you know, quick example of, you know, how health equity works in play is like when we did the vaccine rollout, how, you know, what were, who were the community partners we were working with to make sure that we weren't, um, to make sure that we were reaching um, those that may not have easy access. Yeah. So, um, you know, and then there's policy work that we're doing, like creating, um, we're, we're bringing to the board a tobacco retail licensing ordinance so that we can uh, reduce the number of youth that have access to tobacco. And so that we don't, you know, have kids getting addicted to nicotine and tobacco at a young age, sure. and then having that affect their health outcomes for the rest of their lives. So yeah. that's, that. those are some of the things that we're working on that I'm really excited about. Yeah. Let's... Uh, dig in a little bit on the aspect of the work um, relating to equity. Mm -hmm. um, we hear a lot about equity and social justice in our schools. Uh, can you talk a little bit about what these terms or how these terms resonate with you in your role as a public health director? Um, and how do you advance the work that needs to be done in these areas? You, talk, you gave some examples there around COVID and making sure that access for all in terms of um, uh, vaccinations and making sure they're removing barriers to people's access. What are some other ways in which, uh, you know, your role is uh, focused on social justice and equity issues? Yeah. So, I mean, one, it's probably helpful to just say what, what health equity is. So it's really making sure that people have the opportunities that they need to be healthy. And we have data that shows that black, indigenous and people of color, for example, um, you know, that there are disparate health outcomes in various areas. Uh, we know LGBTQI um, also has, um, you know, health disparities in particular areas. And so, um, you know, how do we make sure that, you know, the most, you know, geographically isolated parts of our county have access um, to the services that they need? Um, but fundamentally, it's really about social determinants of health. So it is, you know, economic opportunity, it's access to housing, access to education. Those are the things that can shape, you know, someone's health outcomes. And I, I think something that's often cited is like your zip code could, could determine your, your health outcomes. Mm. And but, but what that means is like the built environment. Are you living in a food desert? Right. And those are things that we as public health are working to address. So in our Healthy Communities Division, you know, we're doing policy work around tobacco and access uh, to, to healthy foods and uh, nutrition and physical activity and working on creating more walkable spaces. There's the Safe Routes to School uh, program. Th those are things that we're, we're doing in public health that are creating more opportunity for people to live healthier lives. And so health equity has to be a fundamental part of all the work that we do or else what are we doing if we're not trying to make 
our community healthier for everyone. So we have to look at where those disparities are and go, okay, where where can we target our efforts to make sure that we're closing the gap for, for that particular community? Thank you for that. Thinking about uh, one of the struggles that we have had in education and really across all sectors in Humboldt County is filling positions, vacant positions. Is this something that you struggle with in public health as well? And what are some of the um, efforts that you made or what are some of the examples of the things that you've tried that um, maybe have worked in terms of bringing people into the organization? Oh, gosh. Well, I don't know if I'm the expert on how to, how to fix that, but I think it's something uh, that we've been talking. It's really a national conversation, a statewide conversation yeah. for us in public health of how uh, to build up the public health infrastructure and the workforce. Um, so part of that has been, you know, and I think education can can relate to this. It's just public health has been, you know, has been historically underfunded for well mm -hmm. over a decade. Fortunately, this year, the, the state legislature and the governor approved, um, you know, ongoing funding, knock on wood, ongoing funding. Yeah. Know that's also, <laughs> you know, so ongoing funding um, to support public health infrastructure so so that we can hire, you know, key positions. Um, yeah. But when you're looking for, you know, a, a, a microbiologist, it's like that's, some, that's, you know, specialized training. That's a, a particular program that has someone has to go to and... You know, when you're looking for uh, a public health nurse, um, again, you need a public health certification. We know that there's a nursing um, shortage um, that, that we're working to address here locally yeah. um, with the university. And so um, those are some of the challenges that we're facing. And so what, what we're trying to do is, you know, in terms of, you know, recruitment is looking at how do we build relationships with the university so we have that pipeline right. we do a public health rotation with a nursing program and we just got our first hire recently from someone that went through that rotation Great. and then was like i want to go work for public health and they yes. knew what program they wanted to work in and it was just like oh just perfect so yeah. so some of it is just laying that groundwork here locally and some of it is you know we've also gotten people from out of the area that have come here um you know i think um, you know, there's other parts of the state that are, you know, that have been impacted by fires. And um, I think people are looking to move to the coast. And, and so, you know, so I think there's different variables of like why people are, are looking to come here. Um, and so sometimes, you know, we've had people from out of the area come and they're like, I want to move to Humboldt County and we have a, a position that, that matches up for them. But um, every situation feels different. Like, yeah. I don't feel like we've had some broad strategy that's worked. It's just, you know, kind of all the puzzle pieces coming together. You just build this relationship here and maybe we, we've gotten a hire from there. Um, some of it's going to be a larger statewide um, conversation of like, how do we actually build the pipeline to fill nursing positions, to have more microbiologists? Those, those are just things that we can't do alone. We do need that larger infrastructure, which I'm sure is also happening in education absolutely. as well. <laughs> so yeah, you can relate. <laughs> I can, I can. You know, if a high school student listening to this uh, is contemplating a career in public health, what advice would you give them? Oh, gosh. Well, I'm an interesting person to give advice on how to get into public health <laughs> because I didn't have a traditional, like I went to, to college to study public health. Yeah. You know, I didn't, I didn't go through that traditional paths. But I, what I will say is, there, because we have so many different aspects of public health, I think you could have 
a very, you know, you could choose what you're most passionate about, whether it's the sciences, you, you want to be a nurse, you want to be a microbiologist, you want to be an environmental health specialist, and you could study the sciences there. You could choose to go that path, or you could be more passionate about health education, public policy work, and so you could get an education more in that realm. Um, you could be interested in data and data analysis and analytics and go into epidemiology. So there's lots of different ways that you can work in public health. And so I, I'm really a big believer of like, if you believe in making your community healthier, you believe in improving the systems that we have in the community that we have so that people can have healthier lives, then there's probably a place for you in public health some mm -hmm. way or somehow, because it's going to take all these different skills and abilities to be able to accomplish the work that we're trying to right. do. Right. Great. Fantastic. Before we head into the lightning round, Sophia, okay. if there's one piece of advice you could give our listeners who are parents or guardians of children and youth, what would it be? Ooh. Um, I would say support the youth in your life and whatever their extracurricular interests are. I mm. did choir theater, it was a peer counselor, did conflict mediation work. These weren't things that all clearly pointed to like, oh, this is what your career path is going to be, or this is what you're going to do in college. But I learned so much from them. Yeah. I grew so much. I, I had community and I loved what I did. And there's just something about diving into something that you love and mm. learning from it and being passionate about it, being around other people that are passionate about it. That's just like infectious. And that just drive to constantly learn and improve and improve yourself. So whatever your kids are interested in, even if it doesn't seem clear how it's going to translate into a job down the road, I say, that's fine. Because I think you learn something regardless mm. from those experiences. Mm. Mm. Sound advice from Sophia Pereira. Thank you very much. Are you ready for a lightning round? Let's do it. Okay. All right. Your first response to these questions, Sophia. What's your favorite thing to do when you're not working? Chasing my toddler. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I'm ex that's exhausting and not my favorite thing to do, but mostly I like spending time with him. He's really into singing in the rain right now. Oh. So that's, he's been dancing with an Maybe umbrella. Maybe we could have him at some point come and do a rendition here <laughs> on our podcast. Go. Yeah. <laughs> texting or talking? I prefer talking, but realistically it's more texting. Mm. Favorite day of the week and why? Saturday, spend more time with family and friends. It's just good. Favorite city in the world besides the one you live in? I'll say Athens, Greece. Mm. That's where my mom's from. Yeah. So I have a lot of family still there. And I would never go out to dinner at 10 o'clock at night on a weeknight. <laughs> but there, that's what they do. And I just love, love being there with family. Beautiful. The last non-work-related book you read. The the name is going to, I'm going to get it wrong, but it's When the Elephants Dance. And it's about, um, in World War II, the last week um, in the Philippines uh, before um, Japan surrender. So it's about the last week of the conflict between the United States and Japan trying to gain control of the Philippines. And it's just, it's a heart-wrenching book, but mm. it is it is a beautiful story. I think she was a first time novelist, <laughs> the person who wrote this book. And it's just, it's a beautiful, beautiful book. The title once more, Sophia. I'm pretty sure it's When the Elephants Dance. When the Elephants Dance. 
There you go. Book recommendation for you listeners out there. Tea or coffee? Tea. Two words your colleagues would use to describe you. This question. <laughs> I would hope. I, I'll say hardworking. That's two words. It is. It's, no, I mean, it's one word. Oh, my it's gosh. It's kind of a compound. <laughs> compound. You know, co-joined. Oh, I'm, I'm, this hyphenated. is not the right podcast to, <laughs> you know, <laughs> to we'll, play we'll let you get. We'll let you get away with that one. Yes. Hardworking. I do know that about you. Uh, a person that you admire the most. I would say my partner, my husband. Mm. Um, he is one of those geniuses who doesn't act like he thinks like he's a genius. And he's just, um, yeah, he's, just, he's a joy to be around. Oh, that's wonderful to hear. Sitting at the beach or watching the beach from a boat? Sitting on the beach. Mm. Sitting on the beach. Yeah, if you yeah. feed in the sand, then you can go in the water on the boat. Yeah. You know, there could be sharks. Okay. All right, you got a good point there. <laughs> <laughs> and finally... Is it wrong for a vegetarian to eat animal crackers? So I'm a vegan mm. and I eat animal crackers. Okay. So if I'm wrong, I don't want to be right. Yeah. So would that be okay with your vegan friends? You know, I no. I don't know. You may Will have they to take ask my them. club card away? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. That this may expose me. So <laughs> Sophia, thank you so much for sitting down with me this afternoon and sharing some of your insights um, into the work that you do. And I certainly have appreciated the partnership between education and public health. And um, I look forward to our continued work together. So thank you for so, so much once more for being on our podcast. I'm Cole Thank you so much.